Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the fourth episode of this year's Coach's Corner. I'm joined by the man himself, Coach Steve Turner at Gonzaga High School. Welcome, Coach. Man, thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. Great. So we're here in your office, and I think you're probably, out of the four coaches' offices I've been to, I think you just beat out Coach Glenfrell for the most authentic coaches' office. <laughs> I come in here, you probably have – I can't, estimate 15 probably Nike boxes <laughs> that you said you didn't even want to open yet you don't even want to give your players a chance to get a look at the gear but I you might think I think you're ha you're having it messy but I definitely appreciate the authenticity and just realness because this is how it is every day for you I appreciate it we try to keep it as real as we can over here. <laughs> so I have a bunch of questions for you and a lot of ways this could interview could go but when I was starting off where I'm going to start with the interview I wanted to kind of think of something personal and a good way to start it off and I thought what better way to bring up the 2016 national championship game for you you are probably I mean everyone knows the great story between Chris Jenkins and Nate Britt brothers not by blood but just uh, they adopted him when he was younger and took him in and their true family both attended Gonzaga High School were standouts here at the program and then met in that 2016 national championship game most people in the country they're either diehard Villanova fans they're diehard UNT fans or they picked up rooting for your team, but there were a select few people that were rooting for both. And you're definitely, other than their actual parents, one of the people that's probably closest to the situation. What was what was that night like? Uh, it was tough. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're wanting the best for both of them. Um, and <clears throat> to have one not win and, and the other win was, was, was tough. But to have the one who won mm -hmm. be the guy that, you know, brought it home for the team. And then... It was kind of surreal just because he had won games like that for us here. I mean, I can I can go back to actual plays. I can I can see them in my head as I think about him um, against O'Connell. Beats the Crime Stopper at Coolidge yeah. in the same almost in the same spot. Um, beat the Matha that year the same way. PBI the, that year the same way in St. John's. Um, so for me, it was just a unique you know unique experience. And one that I don't I don't know that I'll ever be able to capture mm -hmm. in that light again. And then the blessing was that Nate comes back and wins it the next year. So the both of them end up getting the national championship. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. And so the, you mentioned Chris was doing this at Gonzaga, and you knew him before he hit the shot. Now he'll forever be known in college basketball history and sports history as the guy who hit the shot. Jenkins for the championship. I'll never get that call out of my head. And then Nate Britt comes back, and people are going to know him as one of the UNC point guards who won that national championship and the Redeem team. But you knew them both before their college days. What was it like coaching two guys who were both very elite basketball players but also had this unique bond off the court as brothers? Um, it was fun. I mean, because, one, they, they came in the doors freshmen and they and they, they worked their tails off. Um, you know, Mr. Britt, who coached those guys in the AAU circuit and certainly had them in the house together every day, um, instilled a work ethic in them that made it easy for me when they decided to come here and be a part of our program. And they brought that work ethic every day as, fr as freshmen, um, which gave them both opportunities to play early on as freshmen. And then and then once the guys who were the head of them graduated, you watched them kind of take over mm -hmm. and, and become the leaders even as, so as sophomores. Um, from have, having those guys be able to c carry on a tradition that we're building here um, just – allowed us to be pretty much where we are today because the next group of guys followed their lead as, as they followed the guys who led before them. You know, having two brothers um, play different positions, um, know each other so well on the court, 
it, it, it made coaching fun because we could do so many different things um, that people couldn't pick up on. And there were times when they could improvise without me saying anything. So sometimes I just tried to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, some of the best coaches will tell you that's that's the best skill sometimes, just knowing when to let the guys do their thing and giving them the keys. But so this is – I don't want to get too deep in the interview without bringing this up. So this is – your 15th year at Gonzaga coach. 16th. 16th. We were doing this math in the car. My yep. dad let me roll. Yep. 16th year, 20, 21st year so, overall. So that's what I was going to bring up. So this is your 16th year as the head coach. And when every, I don't know, in every profession, people, I guess people, the studies say millennials are different now. But usually once you get a new job that you've been dreaming about, okay, I'm going to be here for the next 20 years. And, but especially in basketball, I think as coaches will tell you, they envision themselves at the same school in the same position for 20 next 20 30 years but usually doesn't work out that way but you've been lucky enough to have this long longevity and success at Gonzago what does that mean to you and how do you feel going into your 16th year um one thank God for having good players because I think good players make great coaches um so you know I, I owe my opportunity to hear Gonzaga certainly um in the beginning to coach Myers uh coach Bill Whitaker those were guys who believed in me as giving me a chance to come here and to be an assistant coach underneath them. And and, and then when coach decided to retire, um, him believing in me as his successor, that was huge. Um, and and for me, you know, I, I had to go up against some pretty, pretty stiff competition to get this job. There were a lot of college coaches who wanted the job. You know, it finally came down to me and a couple of really good high school coaches here in the area. I'm not going to call out their names right now. But one of them still coaches here in the area, and the other is a former coach from, from a rival school and also coached at one of the top IAC schools. And to be able to earn earn the respect of our school and them to believe in me as the next guy that could take over for Coach Myers was huge. You know, getting to this point now, you know, you always say you get to a spot and you, you want to be able to retire from there and, 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 and be able to paint your own legacy. I mean, it, I, I, I filled into some tough shoes. Coach Myers, arguably to me, is one of the best high school coaches to ever coach here in, in the DMV. And I know most of us say that, you know, Coach Wooten was the best, but watching Coach Myers do so much more with less is what inspired me to be, to be able to be the coach that I am today um, and learning learning the ropes of what Gonzaga, who we are as an institution, the type of kids that we have to bring in, um, being under him for five years really helped me be in position to be ready to, to take over. I mean, you're really never fully ready. Mm-hmm. You have to learn some things yeah. through trial and error. But but understanding the culture of our school and, and us being, you know, dominant academically um, and understanding that you have to find the kids who can do the whole and not just the best basketball athlete, um, it, it it's helped me grow as a, as a coach. It's why I continue to talk to Coach Myers regularly. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk – we talk often, and so I'm always still picking his brain on certain things. Um, I don't feel like I'm the, a guy who knows it all. I'm always trying to learn from others. I mean, as you walked in, you know, college coaches walking out, yeah. I'm picking his brain today, trying to trying to learn some more so that I can grow and help our players become better. But being in the position now is unique because here in year 16 as the head coach, I'm going to have the opportunity to coach my own son. Yeah. So this will be a – a unique experience a unique experience to say the least so that was on my sheet of questions for sure i was gonna save it for later but i have to bring it up now coaching your son especially in basketball is i feel like a topic that always gets talked about a lot some people there's a, i feel like there's a saying if you coach your son he he's either got to be the bench warmer or the best player 
And looking at your roster, I think your son is probably smack in the middle of that. He definitely is, I think, probably the, one of the best shooters on the team, if not the best shooter. Thank and you. then has other skills he needs to work on. I'm not the first person that's told you that, but no. I think I'd be crazy if I say he didn't have a bright future at this program. With that being said, we live in the area. He's been playing with TakeOver. I think he's, he's still playing with TakeOver, yes, correct? He is. So he's playing with TakeOver. There's a plethora of great schools. Gonzaga, obviously, one of the perennial ones. But there's a, there's other great private schools in the area, and I'm sure, I don't know where you live, but there's some great public schools in the area, too. This was a choice to come to Gonzaga and play under you. What was that choice like for you as a coach and for him as the son and the player to know, hey, there's going to be times where dad's going to get on me in practice and we're going to have to take it home to the dinner table and know where to separate and draw that line, but also that there's going to be unique experiences between a father and son that you can't get anywhere else except for sports at this high of level. Describe that relationship and those pros and cons. I think the blessing going into this is that I coached him before. Mm -hmm. I coached him on the AAU circuit when he was younger uh, with the Maryland's Finest, and I did that for two years. And my assistant coaches were, were, were probably more vital to that situation than any. And they did a great job of really getting Jared to understand that I'm coached when we're inside that rectangle. But once the whistle, that last whistle blows at practice, then I'm dead. And that's kind of how we treated the situation and certainly how I'm going to try my best to treat it now that he's here here with me. Um, it's hard at times. Um, I think he has it harder than I will. You know, as I tell him, you're, everyone's, you're probably everyone's litmus test. Most people are saying, probably some of your best friends are saying, hey, if I'm as good as Jared, then coach has got to keep me. And... I think it's I think it's a unique and tough situation for him because he's always going to have those who who judge what happens for him or doesn't happen for him based on the fact that he's the coach's son. Um, so I I don't know where we are with it all yet, other than he's earned his way to making this varsity team. Um, he he showed himself to be our best player. I thought last year on the JV team, I didn't coach him. I stayed out of the way. I didn't tell my coaches how to coach him. I allowed them to coach him. And when he was doing his best, they played him. And when he wasn't, he, he found a way to the bench sometimes. Um, if he was in his own head, he found his way to the bench. But he's growing. And I think he, he's a tough kid. He, he's, he's learning how to adjust to being the coach's son, as I'm also trying to learn how to be in – uh, the, the players that you know, the players dad and coach. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm excited for the opportunity. Um, I just want him to enjoy this, um, and certainly I'm going to try my best to. You know, I I try to leave it leave our conversations here. Um, and there's times I'm sure I question and ask, but that's just the dad in me. That's mm -hmm. probably more the dad in me than even the coach in me. Oh yeah, for sure. But I just want him to know that I'm here for him, like and and that. You, you, you're going to have to work harder than any, anybody else if you want to make it in this because the, the, there are a lot of eyes on you and wondering how I'm going to coach or what I'm going to give you, which I'm not going to give him anything. He's going to have to earn every piece that he gets. Yeah. And he's done that on his own to this, to this, to this, part, to this point, so I don't think he'll, it'll go any other way. And I think he's earning the respect of, of the guys in terms of what he does bring to the table. He is a really good shooter. He's got a lot of other things that he has to continue to work on and grow on. 
Certainly hasn't hurt him that he's went from five ten to six five in the last year and a half. Six five now. Yeah, he's six five now. So I've I've I only saw you. I haven't seen any of the guys yet. I honestly might not have even Matter recognized fact, him. You'll you'll miss him today because he actually went home sick. He's not he's not feeling too well. Um, but you know he he he's growing into his own, and you know he, I like to also note that he's not a one trick pony. He also yep. he also plays lacrosse. Oh, so, okay. So he's a two sport kid, and he wants to continue to keep doing both and. While he can, I'm going to stay out of the way. Yeah, and for those listening who don't know, when you play lacrosse for Gonzaga, that's just not like you decide to pick up a stick and go out and try lacrosse one day. Like you, you got to be pretty legit at that two sports. Like I'm sure he didn't just decide to pick play, pick up and play lacrosse because he wanted to. Well, it came out of nowhere. Yeah. First grade, modern day, and you know a lot of modern day kids play lacrosse. For sure, he comes home literally first day of school screaming to me and my wife. I, I got to go get lacrosse gear. I'm playing on this team. Uh, such and such as dad is going to be the coach. Uh, we got practice tomorrow. I'm like, what? You know, you never even played this sport. You don't even know what to, what to do with the stick in your hand. But um, he was determined to be a part and has fallen in love with it. I've fallen in love with the game. Like probably something that people don't know about me. I watch more college lacrosse when we get to playoff time of college lacrosse than I watch NBA basketball. Yeah. Like the two sports – have a lot of similarities, and it's 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 something that I've fallen in love with. The only thing that I haven't been able to do is go to a lacrosse final four because there's still so much hoops going on. But I'm gonna find a way to make that happen. So this is part of the this is one of the few times I wish that this podcast had audio because if the listeners could see my dad the smile on his face, I played lacrosse and I'm smiling, I'm laughing throughout this story. I played lacrosse when I was younger, and I would say 70% of the kids on my team went to modern day. I went to I went to Potomac Elementary in the Moco Public School system, but I know the exact makeup of the team and everything, and my dad loved lacrosse. I love lacrosse. Till this day, we watch the tournament all the time, and he still will always say to me sometimes, man, I wish you kind of stuck with it. I wish you kind of stuck <laughs> with it. So props to him and props to you for allowing him to stick with it. Thanks. And before we move on from this, I, do, I didn't watch any Gonzaga JV last year. Sorry about that. I, I try to get as much basketball as I can, but I am plugged in enough to know about with some parents – and especially kids, because they let it trickle down to the kids, the predetermined issues and negative connotations that come with playing JV as a freshman when you come from such a prestige program like Team Takeover and playing in the PYBL like your son did. And I just want to give props to you and him for going on JV and not just taking the easy way and going because you're the varsity coach and he could sit on the bench and, yeah, he would be the freshman on varsity. Everyone knows that's the coolest kid in school, allegedly. But he went on JV, earned his respect from the teammates and everyone else in the program and showed what he brings to the table not only and just not, brings to the table as a basketball player, not your son, and just that he's a guy who can contribute in this program regardless of family ties. And I just want to put that out there. Oh, man, thank you. I, well, I try, you know... I, I'm not going to treat him any different than any other kid in the program. Yeah. And as I always try to tell the parents coming into our program, I'm not going to I'm not going to predetermine what level your kid's going to be. He's going to decide that. And that gets decided early on and when we start doing open gym and and we're doing skill development and, and pickup. If I think a kid has the ability to to get minutes as a freshman on varsity, then that's probably when 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 I'm going to put them in that situation. And and not only that, sometimes you you you're trying to look at a little bit of the future. Who's going to be leaving? What kid's going to fall into the role of the kid who's probably playing now? And for him, I think to help his development, it was better for him to to to, to play JV last year and and play on the floor, get minutes, get comfortable with being out there on the court versus him just being in practice 
and, and, and maybe not seeing the floor much at all. But then there were other guys who, 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 who I had in that situation that didn't play a lot of minutes, but I knew where they would be this year coming into our season. Mm-hmm. And you kind of watched a little bit of what went on for us this summer. And for those guys, you're seeing, okay, they're going to be in a role, they're going to be in a bigger role than they were as a freshman, but they needed that year. I thought practice for them against the varsity was going to be more beneficial. So I try to teach, teach each situation differently. And, and you see that, that class of 22 with Jared and Je- Devin and Judah and Quinn, all of their situations are a little different. And three of them ended up being varsity guys right away, and Jared was on JV. Yeah, and speaking of that class, the team makeup this year is those guys are going to play big roles for you in big spots and big moments, and you trust them. I remember being out at PVI last year. Devin Dinkins played those crunch time minutes. Mm-hmm as a freshman in probably one of the most hostile environments I've ever seen. And so that trust in your players really shines through, especially looking for the future because now he's comfortable wherever. He if he can if he can do that as a freshman, I'm I think I can't I don't want to speak for Devin, but I think he feels comfortable playing in any gym against anyone in the country. Speaking about this year's team makeup, you have a ton of talented sophomores who have made extremely big leaps and had productive summers coming off their good minutes when they saw the floor last year. I think all of them more than held their own. And then you have three seniors who have been with you since fre- they've been on the varsity team since freshman year, three high major commits, Miles Stude, Chuck Harris, and Terrence Williams. How have those guys embraced this full leadership role? Like this is my team. And how has that trickled down to the younger guys where they, it's just lead by example. They know what's going on and they don't even, they're not, they're just a part of it now. Um, you, you watch them all grow. You know, Terrence as a freshman probably saw the most minutes mm-hmm. of, of that group of guys that you just named and he's he's kind of the leader sometimes by default just because they say hey he's been a he's been a four-year contributor on the varsity and then there's guys like Studi who's who who who's very vocal he 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 leads a little more by speaking up certainly leads by example and then Chuck who's kind of like the I, I like to call him the silent assassin he he really leads by example so those guys are the core of our leaders but they lead in different ways. Like some are a little more vocal, some are a little more, again, by example. They've done a really good job from what they learned from the guys before them, Miles Dredd, Prentice Hub, Chris Likes. They've taken the things from them, and now they're feeding it back to the next generation of guys who who are going to be stepping into the role that they're in now as seniors only a couple couple months away from here when these guys are done and then they're headed off to their colleges. So we've, you know, we want to look at our program every day as like it's, it's family. And, and so that you're learning, you're learning from your older brothers to be able to give back to your younger brothers. And those guys have done a tremendous job of doing that along with the other three seniors that they're playing with this year. Right. Uh, Christian Ficka, who's, who's heading to Georgetown for baseball. And then our other two unsigned seniors, Josiah Hardy and, and Carlos Hub. Yeah, and just going off that, you guys have had a ton of success as of late. Um, three of those those three kids that we named, I don't want to keep singling them out of the group seniors, but they've just been on the team since freshman year, so they apply to this category. They've won two WCAC national championships in three years. Not many people can say that. And you've won three out of the last five as a program. But every coach will tell you each team is different. How is each one of those championships sweet but different in their own ways? Oh, I think because we've never approached them with repeating 
like a lot of guys are saying, you know, you, you you're gonna are you guys gonna repeat this year? I never say we're gonna repeat because I don't think we're defending a title. Um, I think we're going after a new title. So every year we've tried to treat it as a new situation and a new experience that, hey, this is the schedule we have. This is who we're playing to get ourselves prepared for that that weekend in February. And it, I think it takes the pressure off a little bit, but it really is what I'm saying. It's, you're not defending title. I don't have the same exact players from last year's team. I've got 10 guys who are core of last year's team being brought along with with a, with a new with a new crop of guys who we're gonna have to try to figure out who those last few guys are here uh, come next weekend when we start tryouts. So I think what's 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 helped is each team has ha- got, gotten an opportunity every year to have their own experience. It hasn't been an experience of hey we're trying to defend or we're chasing. No, we're just going after what's in front of us for this year. Mm-hmm. And so speaking on one of those championship teams, when I. Th- I first started getting really into high school basketball. It was the 2016 year when St. John's won it, but I didn't really start covering this until I was a freshman. And my first WCAC tournament experience covering with my blog was, and like following the team throughout the entire season was your 2017 team, who I, till this day, that's probably the, the most special team I've watched between just Prentice and Chris and Miles Dredd. Like they just had a clicking on all cylinders and ended up winning the championship. What was so special about that team in particular? Just like, you had the versatility of Chris, Miles Dredd, just endless energy. Prentice, the combination of Prentice and Chris, it completely worked together. What was that team like coaching for you? Whew, it was fun mm-hmm. um, because you, you also had a good crop who's now these seniors that were young guys. And their ability to challenge the older guys that year every day in practice made this team special. And those seniors – they were in a position to have an opportunity to to, to win again. Um, you know, they they won they they won when Chris was a sophomore, and they they were they were they were ready to get it get it get another one. So, when you got guys like Miles and Prentice and Chris who are just natural born leaders, like I don't I don't think there was anything I did to make them leaders. I think they were leaders before they even walked in the door here. It made it a lot easier for me to coach because we try a lot of times to get our kids to want to police each other for whatever. The generation of kids don't do that anymore. Um, but those guys did that. And I think for me, it was refreshing because I felt like as a coach, I was kind of back in my era of playing where I had guys who did what I'm always trying to preach about, policing your own teammates, being being comfortable with being uncomfortable, understanding that, hey, I might I might get on Miles's case today, but but as soon as we leave the gym, we're still best friends. That's how they were. They they could look like they want to fight each other in the middle in the middle of practice, but then they're getting in a car together to go eat, go meet the girlfriends, whatever it is that they do after they leave out of my gym. <laughs> but that's what I think made that team so special is that is their bond and their brotherhood, and how they were able to own the team. Is we try to say, hey, this is your team. I'm the coach, and I'm I'm running the show at the end of the day. But I also want to want to empower you to understand that this is your team, and they're going to go as you lead. And that group of guys did a really good job of doing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you just spoke to all the behind the scenes stuff. But everyone that was watching that year saw how special Chris was on the court. <laughs> and I always ask coaches, the question is. Who's one of the toughest players you've had to game plan for? Which is essentially like the who's causing you to lose sleep the night before the game question. And Chris has almost 
100% guaranteed to come up on so, at some point in the list. I want asking the coach who coached him and you're in bed sleeping and it's saying, man, I, I have Chris tomorrow. Like I just, I know, I know what is going to happen because I have Chris. What was the advantages of having Chris likes on your team? Don't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, I think you have to go back to his freshman year, uh-huh. his freshman year. We had a pretty good team, but if you go back and look at that team, we had a lot of injuries I don't know that we played one game that year with our full roster. Wow. And some things happened early in the, in the in the year that put some guys that we were really expecting to be the leaders down. Brian Crawford gets hurt for us mm-hmm. early. Uh, Jordan Abdul-Raouf gets hurt. And we asked this, you know, two-foot freshman <laughs> to take over. And, and, and he did. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know that I would have Chris on varsity that year as a freshman. I wasn't sure. I mean, he proved himself when he came into open gyms, and and at that point we saw enough and was like, all right, yeah, he's good enough to be on varsity. Okay, now the next question was, all right, how much will he contribute for us? Well, he he comes out first WCAC game of the year at O'Connell, and literally wins a game that we end up losing. And I and I say that a referee makes a horrendous call, um, that that cost us a game. I mean, if you go back and watch the film, even. Even some of the officials have said they made a mistake. Chris hits like a full court and one oh that God. doesn't get counted. And we would have won the game. We ended, up, we ended up losing the game. I even had a college, a pretty famous college coach say to me recently, Chris likes that night. That was the last guy of Romello Trimble's high school career that guarded him that well. So along with him leading us in scoring, yeah. he's guarding the best player in our league that night and doing a tremendous job to, to hold him in check to give us a chance to win. So I wasn't covering WCAC back then. Tell the story of what happened that night. I Because this is the first time I'm hearing about <sighs> oh, this, and I'm upset with oh, myself so, that this is new news. Well, I'll, I'll, get you a copy of the, I'll get you a copy of the video so you can watch it. <laughs> but late in the game, it's, it's a nip-and-tuck game going back and forth. In fact, I think we came back to get back in the game. Um, they jumped on us early, and we found a way to claw ourselves back. And Chris has a chance to to knock down a game-winning shot that he ends up hitting, and the referee calls it on the ground. But if you watch it, the only thing he's doing is trying to get the shot off, and he 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 nails the and one three, but doesn't 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 get to 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 get the the and one. And I think he might have missed one of the free throws, and they end up hitting one to win the game. So, but this is I'm just trying to paint the picture here. So this is packed house, packed house at O'Connell, one of the most hostile environments in the entire country, and this is probably a five. What? Give me an estimate. Five what freshman? Chris, probably five five. Five five <laughs> freshman stepping up in this packed house. That wasn't even sure if he was going to be on varsity in the beginning of the year. So much uncertainty. He steps up and just has the confidence to even take the shot, let alone make it. Forget what the referee says. I'll watch the video later, and I'm sure I'll <laughs> confirm what you're saying. But even has the confidence to take the shot in this moment. Did that not tell you all you need to know about Chris? Well, definitely. And then, and then it also told me what I needed to know about my team that year was their ability to trust. I mean, there were some seniors on that team that probably felt like balls should be in their hands a lot of times, but they saw what Chris could do for us, and they trusted in their teammate to allow him to be to have an opportunity to even be in that moment. Um, he showed all night that night that he, he, he was going to be a force to be reckoned with. 
and and you saw it just continue to grow and grow and grow, you know. And, and by the time he graduates from here, he becomes the school's all-time leading scorer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, pretty much. That's I couldn't script the story any better. So going ahead to this year's Eagles, we talked about the six total seniors and the three core that have been your program from the jump, and then the talented sophomores. What should we expect though from this team? For judging, talk to someone who has never seen any of these kids before. They don't know what to look for. Let's say they don't even know any of their names. What should they be looking for? They're about to walk into the gym. How should I tell them what they're about to see? A team that I think really trust each other. Um, you know, outside of outside of what you see on the court, you know, as a coach, you're always trying to see how your team meshes. And, you know, throughout the summer, we had opportunities because of the, the new live period that was added, um, being able to go away to some team camps. You always want to see how the team is bonding and and how they how they relate to each other. This team is a team that I don't think just likes each other. I think they love each other. Um, and with that, I think what you're going to see from us is a group that has a strong brotherhood, um, a team that is going to have each other's back. I think what makes us special is our versatility. Um, you know, we're, we're not a traditional team with the with the six eight six ten big in the paint. Um, we got some hot guys who play a little bit in a hybrid position, which I think at the high school level sometimes plays to our advantage. Sometimes it can be a disadvantage, but I think we've learned how to play it to our to our to our advantage. Uh, I think they'll be a team that you're going to be excited to watch. They're going to get after defensively, um, and they're a team that I think you can't just you can't just scout for one guy, mm-hmm. uh, one or two guys. There are other guys on the court that are going to surprise folks that can step up. And give us some scoring punch as well as as well as the biggest thing that they got to do for me to get on the court in the first place is defend. Yeah, I mean, all you hit on all the points there. And speaking of the live period, this hasn't come up with any of the WCAC coaches I talked about, but I talked to my high school coach yesterday in Montgomery County, and he obviously has a much different take and approach to the high school live period than you guys do, but. I think when they first introduced it, it was met with this little like uneasiness. Oh, this is this is AAU season. These kids should stay with their AAU programs. But I think actually, it was met with some pretty positive reviews once it actually happened and we saw it come to fruition. Guys were able to coaches were able to scout guys in different roles and with their high school systems. As a coach who you have a ton of guys playing either on the circuit or at the level right above there, and they're being seen from college coaches all summer. What was it like as a high school coach to kind of re- rejoin your guys in June and July? And I don't even know if it was in July, but in June and play high school basketball again a little bit. It was fun. And, and, but it was more importantly, I think what gets that isn't talked about enough is different guys shine in different lights. And there are kids who, who, who the AAU scene is, is the best thing for them. And then there are kids who the high school scene is the best thing for them. I think it's giving more opportunity by having kids being able to play in a live session with their high school team to be seen in a different light than they made on their AAU team. I think my son's one of those examples. Mm-hmm. Um, on his AAU team, he, he, he doesn't see as many minutes. He, he, he has to kind of fight for everything he gets because he's playing on, 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 a, on a team that has a really good all-star, all-star group. So... He probably plays more in a role of, you know, he's expected to be a shooter because that's what he does really well. Where playing for us, he gets he gets an opportunity to be seen in in in, in, the, in a 
situation where he's playing through the plays that he does all through the school year. Um, he's been through a number of practices with these guys, and they're all running the same stuff. So there are kids who I think have an opportunity to be looked at differently than they do when they're on the all-star situation. So I think having that balance, it allows for more kids to be to, to have their opportunity to shine in the light that shines bright for them. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing that I took away from it and the biggest positive I took away from it was just the but like getting I'm trying to put a way to say this like AAU isn't run and jump and I hate saying that because it's such a predetermined thing but there's it's a lot more transition and there's a lot more a lot less structure and I think some kids I think myself as a player I'm not at that level but I think if I was I think I would definitely be more well suited to the high school game and more sets and playing with people you're more comfortable with mm-hmm. and def- there there's way more effort on defense it's much more the AU is much more of a lax days old game. Obviously, when you get to Nike YBL, I always say there's no better competition. Dudes clashing from all over the country. But there's something to be said for playing in this high school basketball system and structure that you're comfortable with. And I think it's great that you brought that up. No, I just think I, I, I'll go back to that. I, I think it's allowed for a balance, mm-hmm. which is only going to benefit every kid who's playing the game. You got some kids. I mean, I've had kids over the years who, who are currently playing in college, but they play no AAU. So imagine have had they had the opportunity to play in a live period with their high school where they have an opportunity to shine and, and play a lot more, what are the schools they might be looking at or could be at currently mm-hmm. but they didn't have those opportunities afforded to them? It used to be this way a little bit because what people forget is the summer was live all the way through. So when I first got here and I was an assistant under Coach Myers, we played at High Point and we played at St. Albans. The whole summer, there were college coaches in the gym every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so the high school kids were getting their opportunities to be seen, and those who weren't on the elite AAU teams had their opportunity to to, to be seen in, in the, with their high school teams so that they could be recruited. So I, I think they got it right with being able to create a little more of a balance. I still think there's some things that the this NCAA committee could could do to, to balance it out even more. I, I'm happy to see that they're adding the, the – uh, one more live period to the April, I think they could also put that other week back to July and, and get rid of the camps at the end of the summer or sit down with some high school coaches and allow them to get involved with helping them with the selections of who's getting selected to those camps. I think the camps had a lot of kids who didn't yeah. belong, and I think that you chased after the Terrence Williams, the Hunter Dickinsons, the Earl Timberlakes of the world, and those kids didn't need that camp. There are a bunch of kids who needed that camp who are unsigned seniors right now that should have been in those camps. And if you had worked a little more, I think, with the guys who know these kids, you you could have made that camp yeah, I mean, even, even better. At first, I was going to make like a sarcastic joke that talking to you guys would make too much sense for the NCAA, but I actually wanted to take a different route because I've tweeted about this and spoken spoken in person on text to everyone I've talked to, talked to about this and just been publicly outspoken about it all the time. Those NCAA camps, if you're going to exist and you're going to be beneficial to the kids, you should have zero overlap with the top 100 camp. Absolutely zero. Because it's a the NCAA camps, I think, can be a great thing. Like, I am all for people being represented on a national stage in front of as many eyes as possible as long as you're at the right level. So don't go chase, like you said, Hunter Dickinson, Terrence Williams, the dudes who are already getting more than enough eyes and they have their choice. Chase the unsigned, chase the unsigned seniors, and get the right guys in those settings so those camps can actually come to fruition. If you're not going to do that, do away with the camps because 
it, it doesn't need to be for kids to post this acceptance letter that they got invited to this NCAA camp on Twitter. Like there was a lot, I think, I, again, I wasn't there, so I don't want to speak too much, but from what I heard and from what I could have watched and from the roster that I saw, there was a little bit of too many kids that didn't belong at the level, whether they were too low or too high, and not enough kids who would, it was actually benefiting and it was in the right wheelhouse. So a lot, not a lot of people are openly critical of NCAA, and I applaud you. I know this is probably an easier platform for you. I think I probably have like 100 listeners, <laughs> but I appreciate you even saying that because it's no, a I'm really not. important issue, and they need to speak to people like you who are educated and know who benefits from what setting. I, you know, I, I wish I, I wish there was some way that I, I could be that voice of reason for them, or at least at least the person who can speak from you know both sides of the fence, uh, so to speak. I, th- I think, one, the camp is beneficial. There, it, it, there's a lot of ways that it can benefit a lot of kids. I just think that the way they were set up for this this first summer, yeah. what they didn't get the most out of what they could have gotten out of it, um, because they're they're trying to fix some things that are going on in the NCAA that one, they're never going to fix. Dudes are going to cheat. Yep. Dudes are going to give money. They're going to do whatever they got to do to give themselves the best opportunity to get kids to places so they can win games or to set them up with agents so they can make money down the line. I don't care what what setting you change in the summer, that's going to continue to happen. It's been happening for years. It's going to keep happening. But if you're going to put things in place to help kids and give them the best opportunity, then you got to bring people from all aspects. I don't think just high school coaches. Mm-hmm. I think there should be an NCAA, there should be an AAU coach on this committee. There should be high, along with high school coaches on this committee. There should probably be ADs on this committee. But you've got people who, in my opinion, didn't even play AAU the way that AAU is set up today that are on that committee. So they can't even talk from what's current. And without having some people on the board, I think, to agree to disagree with, you'll keep making mistakes like this. If you do the go the other way, I think you can make some, some things better, which will benefit everyone in the yeah, long run. Yeah, and I do think the good part about it is we are all on the same page. The coaches – the, the media members and their media members that have huge platforms. I know Evan Daniels was one of the most outspoken members <laughs> of it. And I'd like to think that he had some impact in them changing it because anytime the NCAA released something that we all knew was wrong, he has a hundred thousand Twitter followers to speak to and to speak to. And he has an audience and he's not afraid to speak up. And I think as long as we keep persistently going at it, hopefully we can get it as right as possible. But you hit the nail on the head. It was change for the sake of change on topics that, one, the rules you change have no effect on what's going to happen there, and it's probably inevitable, but then Sibley doesn't want to recognize that. Before I let you go, I have one final question. You guys always seem to play, not I want to say always, but it's a common theme for you to play your best basketball at the end of the year and just find your way and get hot at the right time. What does that speak to the mentality that you instill in this program that your guys trust the process and that, hey, a loss in December is way less important than a loss in February. I, I think you just ca- keep trying to, you know, beat it into their heads to a certain degree that hey, we're gonna grow. We don't want to be we don't want to be peaking in, in in December or January. We, we want to be able to be a team that's peaking in late February, and we're not gonna be as concerned with our, our wins and our losses early in the year. One thing that happens in our league, everyone makes the playoffs. Mm-hmm. The key to, to me, the key to it is you want to be a team that's not caught with win, having to win four games to win this league. You want to be one of the teams that's in the upper half where you only got to win three. And people get upset with me because I say it. 
we play 20 games in, in season, I call them 20 scrimmages. It's an opportunity for our team to grow and get better. No one's going to judge me at the end of the year if we have an opportunity to be in, be in the finals or, or have a chance to win it based on a win or loss early in the year. If that was the case, everyone would have been down my throat last year when we lost the opening game at McNamara. Mm -hmm. And what I think helped us is we learned that our stuff doesn't stink. You know, you got to grow. And you can't walk into any gym any given night and thinking that you can just you can just walk over anybody because because of the name on in front of your chest. You got to bring it because every school in our league has great players. And you know, hats off to Coach Vini and those guys beating us last year. It was an incredible feat for his school, his program. His kids came to play, and that night our, our guys came coasting. We had a chance late to try to pull it off, but we we should have never allowed ourselves to be put in that position. And I think we learned quickly. The next night we came back and had a 40-point win against one of, one of Baltimore's best. And so for me, it's just we don't want to be our best early. We mm -hmm. want to be our best late, and, and we just try to walk through it as the season goes along and see what things need to be fixed and what needs to be tweaked. And then we try in February to have it going the right way, and God willing, and knock on wood, um, the last five years we've been right there in that situation and hoping here at year six and, and this senior year for this group we'll be right back there in the thick of things when it matters. Yeah, and I mean, I can definitely say that not everyone can call the regular season 20 scrimmages, but someone with your track <laughs> record at Bender, you've certainly earned it. Thank you so much, Coach, for joining me, and thank you guys all for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the four episodes of Coach's Corner, and stay tuned for more content. Once again, thank you, Coach. No, thank you. It's a pleasure.